This podcast is sponsored by CDO Group, the industry leader providing a full range of construction and project management services. CDO Group has managed thousands of projects in all 50 states. Their group of experts provide systems, processes, and procedures to make sure that your projects turn over on time and on budget every single time. With over 24 years of experience, CDO Group is the industry's leader in construction management and general contracting services. To find them, go to cdogroup.com. Hi, and welcome to the Future of Development podcast. My name's Anthony Montategi, and I'm here to inspire people to find amazing careers in the construction development world. If you like our podcast, please make sure you hit the subscribe button down below. If you really like our podcast, make sure you hit the little bell. Hi, my name's Anthony Montategi, and welcome to the show. Today, we've got the one and only Casey Gray, the conscious builder. The way that he operates with his customers is changing the way that we operate in the construction business. Casey, welcome to the show. Casey, welcome to the show. You know, our pre-show, I got to learn a lot about you and uh, watching your YouTube videos. You've got some amazing stuff out on the on the network. I'm excited to get to know you a little bit better. So I thought maybe just take a second and first just say thank you for being on the show. I know you're busy and uh, I, I want to get to know you a little bit better and how you got into this. Yeah, thanks, Anthony. Uh, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. How I got into this, I'm assuming you mean construction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, the simplest answer is that was my best class in high school. I just kind of fell into it because I was good at it at the beginning, right? Now, how I got into sustainable building, healthy building, efficient building, that sort of thing, that, that's a different, that's been part of the journey, you know, kind of self-exploration, personal development, figuring out what I'm interested in, what makes me tick, what I believe in, and uh, ultimately the legacy that I want to leave behind, uh, if anything, just for my son at this point. And that's when the whole sustainable building career kicked off, right? Before that, you know, I'm a carpenter and build houses and so forth, but it wasn't until... I started to work on myself and then my wife and I found out we were having our first child that I started to think differently. And then I started to ask myself why, right? And that question, why those three letters changes everything. That's awesome. You know, I, uh, I resemble that, you know, we've got, uh, five children and three of them are, are, are girls. And, uh, uh, as my wife and I looked at the business, we said, all right, how do, how do we change that? You know, we've got, uh, uh, some strong young men that are really, you know, they're part of the business and, uh, our daughters as they, as they grow up, how do we, how do we change this business so that, uh, you know, there's not this, uh, male dominated business. So today we're a woman owned business and uh, we really embrace how we support uh, the diversity of our, of our people. And, uh, it was something that really changed, by the way, it also, when you asked the why one was, I, I developed a company out of fear, right? When I started the company, it was to survive, right? I, I had a business and how do I make an income and how do I get there? And I would just, and all I did is work, 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 work. And I figured if I just muscled it down and worked hard enough, I would have this. And I never, I never put my head up. I just worked. I just worked. And then my wife said to me, man, you're going to die if you keep doing this. And I'm like, but I can't, I, 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 if I stop working, I'm going to fall up. The business will fall apart. And she goes, no, it won't. And uh, she dramatically, she said, you know, uh, I'd be willing to step in. And I'm like, well, great. So we brought a business coach in and how do we make that happen? And as I stepped back from being the president, now I'm the founder. I, I noticed I, I had all these triggers that triggered me to keep going, work, 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 work. And what happened was I, I, I noticed that I kept walking out doing the same thing over and over again because that's all I knew. By the way, that's what made the business and I was really good at it. Right. And uh, the, this business coach came in and she goes, here, let me show you what the best thing you can do is lock your door. You're on this side, 
let the people that you've hired on the other side do what they do. You keep taking the air out of their, their out of their program, and and that's costing you. And all of a sudden, I let them grow, and it was hard. It was hard holding my mouth shut and, and letting them do it. <laughs> but all of a sudden, I get to do things like this. I get this. I get to. She goes, "Well, well what else? You know, you're, you're you're missing some. You're missing something to be relevant, aren't you?" I go, yeah, yeah. She goes, what would you like to do? I go, I, I, how about a podcast? I've always wanted to talk to, I love, uh, you know, talking to people in the business. And uh, she goes, great, why don't we start a podcast? And a couple of years we started this and and that's the joy of this. Now I've got this, you know, ability to change. So so how did that, how did that happen for you? As, you? as you look at the why and you get into sustainable projects, I've seen some of the stuff you've done uh, online and it's beautiful, right? You, you and, and the communication you have with your clients uh, is really different, right? The way your clients talk about you, how they talk about your projects and how the projects went. Tell me how that starts to unwind for you as an entrepreneur. Well, it's very much a, a mindset, right? Like entrepreneurial entrepreneurship, as you know, is like 80% mindset and 20% mechanics. And, you know, when those clients are, I'm not sure which videos, we got a lot of videos out there, but if you're, you know, any, anything that the clients are saying, it's not just about me. It's about the team, right? There's only so much that I can do. I'm usually sitting right here, similar to you, like behind the desk talking, you know, the, the business development type stuff, the podcasting, the, the recording, the marketing, kind of getting people interested, building that trust. But then I have to trust in the team that we've had. So we've been working, you know, it's been a long time working on it and we're getting better and better and our systems are getting uh, more and more efficient as we get. And we, we slowly start adding on to different systems, right? So we're working through all the parts of the business and it's long. It doesn't happen nearly as quickly as I would like it to happen, right? When you're the business owner, you always want to want it to uh, go quicker than what it is. And, and my team constantly has to rein me in and I have to say, yeah, okay, you're right. But my, one of my conversations with the team, one of the, one of our uh, team members last week, was it's my job to push you beyond what you think is possible. But at the same time, there's that fine, it's a dance, right? So it's as the entrepreneur and as the founder, as the owner, you want to push people beyond what they believe is possible, but they, you also have to give them the freedom to make decisions and set realistic expectations for what they feel. So that they feel like they're accomplishing something, right? Cause it's always that if you're always setting goals that are, you know, moonshots and you're never accomplishing anything, that's, that's hard on the brain, right? You're just, you're, you feel like you're constantly failing, right? So there has to be goals that you're actually achieving, but then we also want to, uh, you know, beside that have these stretch goals. So we're going beyond what our goals are. So it's, it's a constant growth. It's, it's, it's always working. It's, uh, realizing that per, uh, perfection is not possible. Uh, it's, it's a game of mastery. It's just being better than what we were yesterday. And, you know, there's, there was failures in the past. There'll be failures in the future. Uh, but those are the things that make us stronger, better, faster, and we continue to grow from there in, in all aspects of life, not just entrepreneurship. I think entrepreneurship is so great because by going through all the trials and tribulations of entrepreneurship, you actually become a better human as well, a better person. And you realize uh, there's a lot of life, life lessons in this you know, school of hard knocks, so to speak. Well, and it's not a, there's not a joy in it, but I love what Elon Musk says, you know, to be an entrepreneur is to know how to chew glass and then look over the abyss and realize that at any given time I can fall over that. You know, it's, it's this constant pushing myself, looking around, you know, it was easy when I first started with an idea, right? I want to do this. And it was, I was so uh, maybe on the pink cloud, right? I was on this pink cloud of, oh my God. But then I was, it was just me to worry about then. You know, I was young. I was, you know, very, you know, very, very small bills and, and, um, 
you know, I remember our first office, you know, if we made 5,000 bucks, that was a big deal, right? right? Like, oh my God. Then we bought a phone system, right? And, and as we grew and grew and grew, uh, you know, there's been ups and downs throughout the years. In 2010, you know, we went through a really tough time when the economy crashed and everything dried up. And it was two weeks before Christmas and I had to let a group of people go. And we went from being this, uh, you know, 45 uh, person company down to three of us. And I remember that feel like I wanted to jump out of the window. And today, sometimes that fear creeps in, right? You know, uh, one mm-hmm. of the things I, I really notice is as I grow, I never want to go there again. I never want to have to call an employee and say that, you know, and, and thank God since that day that hasn't happened, but it, but it forced me to do is look at things a lot differently, right? How do I look at the economics? Constantly always on the edge of making sure that we're not, you know, one of the things that's on my desk is an employee handbook. And at the time, you know, someone walked in my office and said, Anthony, we're going to be a redneck company if we don't have this employee handbook. We hired a company and it was $2,000 to hire a company and they're going to write the handbook for us and they're going to tell us all the HR stuff that we do and we're going to hire another company to typeset it and another company to typeset it and that was another couple thousand bucks to typeset it and then we're going to print this book and we're going to have it all out. And, you know, so we have, you know, four to 6,000 bucks in this little book and we had these little, a whole bunch of them printed and right, that was about a week after, I got the books about a week after I let everybody go. And they sit mm-hmm. on a, they sit in a cabinet in my office. And every time I look at things in expenditures in our company, I think to myself, will that ever become the book? You know, oftentimes I look at that, those books and I think, if I didn't spend the money on this, what could I have done? Could one more employee ha- have had a job, right? Could I have kept someone on just a little bit longer? And um, so it, it does give me a little sense of humility and in uh, doing that. And I think that I think as an entrepreneur, having a little humility is great for the stuff. But then also, you know, the creator that you are, you're, you, you can look at things differently than other people can. So you create these ideas and really bring people into them. And like you said, I think you're pushing, it, it, sometimes it feels like you're pushing them, but you're really creating an opening for them to go there. And sometimes when they're afraid to do that, that is where the, the I, I feel like the joy for me is, as I get to look at people and go, yeah, look what we've done together. Look look where we've gone as a company. You know, we, we break this $85 million barrier as a company. You're like, wow, we, we broke $85 million. We didn't get all 50 states, like, wow. We've got that, and, and we've got these great superintendents that love their job, that love working for us. Great, great. All right, now what else can we do? Like, what else can we do to be uh, better in the business, better to our customers? How do our customers look at, uh, you know, the turnovers that we turn over on time? And uh, as you look at that, you know, you you um, when I read the reviews from your customers, they talk about you in your openness, your ability to show everything. Hey, I even saw one customer said, and I got to the end of the project and he gave me money back because those line items, we didn't use them, right? The integrity of your relationship with the customers that you're working with. Uh, I think that's a lot of, of what you're talking about, what's make, made you so successful, at least as I read on, on, on your reviews and, and the stuff that, and the people that have worked with you. So I, I think that's a big, a big part of it. Talk a little bit about that and how did, what really got you there and creating those relationships that way? Well, I think that there's a lot of hidden things in construction, right? And uh, in a lot of businesses, right? When you go buy, you know, you spend a thousand dollars on, you know, this phone, you don't, you know, maybe this phone only costs, you know, $50. I don't know what it is, but there's hidden stuff, but you're, you're willing to accept it small. When it comes to construction, it's different. People are becoming more and more educated and it's their, 
usually, at least what we're doing, we're doing, you know, custom homes and renovations, at least on that part of our business. Uh, so it's like, they know what's going on. They see what's happening. So about, I think it was about five years ago when we changed our contracts, we just said, what if we share everything? You know, why, why try to hide things and try to mark up things and then try to get it done as quickly as possible to increase our, our profit? Why don't we just tell them what the fees are and do more of a cost plus approach, but, and, give them a receipt for every single item that was purchased for their home. And if we don't purchase it, we don't build them for it. And it's, it's kind of evolved since then, but that's essentially what we do. We say, here's our rates. If we do any work, this is our rates. We're still going to create a budget and we're still going to do an estimate. We're still going to get quotes for subcontractors and we're still going to manage all of that stuff. But anything we do in house, especially because we do a lot of specialty stuff, right? So the, the types of buildings that we're doing, you're not going to get subcontractors to do a lot of that work, but any work we do in house, we're going to charge by the hour. We'll track that all. And our guys clock in and clock out on their phones is by the minute and anything else that comes through subcontractors, deliveries, materials, uh, there'll be a markup on it. But any, any time that's put into your project is, is billed by the hour and it's tracked. Uh, and if we do the estimate and we don't use something, well, you don't get billed for it because we had nothing to bill you with at the end of the day. So Something, some areas might be more expensive, some areas might be less. But I think this changed, this brings a certain type of client to us, right? It doesn't bring the client who is looking for the for the best price. And if somebody comes to us and they say that they're getting a lot of contractors bidding on the project, I typically say, well, I'm I'm not interested in playing that game. Uh, you know, thanks for the opportunity, but you know, I'll pass. Um, but if they have a good reason for coming to us and they want us to put a price together to see what it all is, I say, okay, that's fine but there's a fee for it. It's going to take me time to do it. And if they're willing to pay the fee, then I can tell that they're serious. And if they're not willing to pay, well, then I know that they're price shopping. They're not our client anyways. It doesn't mean that they might won't work out for somebody else, but it just means that I don't want to be a part of that project. It doesn't meet our, our goals. But I mean, I, I ultimately, you know, I've been doing this my whole career and every one of those price shoppers never, I, I, I think that's the ultimate lie in the business that when people look at, I want to be a price shopper. Ultimately, they get hurt the most, right? I think that uh, what I notice about the business and, and all the thousands of projects we've done in all 50 states with all the people we've ever worked with, all the brands and the companies we work for, you know, we have some brands we are partners with, right? We, we, we literally know their development schedule. We work with them. We have an open communication, that kind of dialogue that you're talking about. Everything's open we make a fair profit, right? We're not looking, we're never, ever, ever biting the hand that feeds us, right? And, and, there's some, and there's some big brands, right? There's some big hamburger brands across this country we've done thousands of jobs for and the kind of relationship we have with them is that it's open and honest and communicative. And, and what's great about that relationship is both sides push each other a little bit, right? Uh, and I mean, in a good way, like they've pushed us to really be diversified. I mean, they, they've got a, a national want to be more diversified. And they said, hey, how can we, how could you show up that way? And and my wife and the group have really, really gone from uh, to do that and take on some stuff that supports them. And then on the backside, uh, they do the same thing with us. Hey, it doesn't work when we have 13 people bidding on a project. That doesn't work. Because at the end of the day, you know, look, it takes us three to $5,000 you know, maybe five to eight thousand dollars in some of those projects to bid a project. Now you got ten teams working on that. Now not all ten of them working on it. And if one out of the ten team gets it, right, all that money that was created wasted on the teams that got the project that didn't get the project and lost out. Right now the guy that got the project probably went just a little bit lower 
there's so many people on it, someone had to go just a little bit lower to get it on a resume or just to win it for a reason without having, it, it needs to be, it, look, we have to make a profit or it's not gonna, it doesn't work for anybody. None of us are, none of us are going home tonight to, to starve, right? We're gonna work our behinds mm -hmm. off and that's what's great about construction. Our business works hard. The people that are in it, they, they show up. Our contractors, our subcontractors, our carpenters, the labor force that, that, that are here love doing what they do. I, I feel like the people here, I love construction. I love our business. I love everything about it. I love the dirtiness of it. I love watching the instant gratification. I would love watching a building go up. I love every part of the honest hard work that it takes to build something really great. I love that part of it. And I believe that happens every day. But somewhere, the guy who bid the lowest has to cut some quarter to make it work, right? He has to tell you he has more people than he does or, 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 or he has to cut a corner with, with the materials or he has to do something to cut the quarters to make the profit because he has to go home and feed his family and somewhere that now affects all the rest of the job and everybody inside of it. You know, when architects, you know, I, I was at a convention last week with a bunch of architects and I said, why do you guys keep going? You know, I, I said, why isn't every one of your projects in Revit? Why, why today, why is not every single project done by every single architect in Revit? Well, our clients don't wanna pay us to do these things in Revit. I go, look, but do you understand how that's affecting everybody down the road? Do you understand how every mm -hmm. one of us in the GC side of it, from the guy that's, uh, you know, if it's a timber building or a steel building or it's, it was whatever kind of building we're doing, the, the unit pricing, the takeoffs, the time it takes to invest in putting that together, where in Revit, I can pull those numbers right on out. I, I've got door counts, window counts. I, I can take my material takeoff right off the Revit model. And ultimately that helps communicate to everybody. And I have a much more intelligent bid, a much more intelligent process. And whatever money people thought they were saving by a 2D drawing, you know, the, the, what's happening now in the world with metaverse and all this stuff that's happening is gonna require us to have this. And the people that aren't moving to Revit today are gonna be the taxi drivers of the future, right? Where Uber took over and technology took over. Today, we've got these great systems that uh, facilitate that, but you know, we're still got people that are acting archaic. You know, uh, often my joke is we build some of the restaurants today, just like they built the Coliseum, uh, you know, uh, thousands of years ago where we, we carried heavy crap over here, we banged on it, and then, you know, we just pushed people out of their way to get it done. and you know, that's an archaic way of building. Today, I can look at a project with a lot more technology, with, with project ma management skill, with analytical stuff. I can look at 3D models and understand how and where I'm gonna deliver and what parts and pieces I need first. I can communicate to the team a lot clearer before they show up so they know what they're gonna do before they get here so that that subcontractor can get in and get out and actually make a profit. I think what we have to do is, I think we have to change, right from the beginning, is it's not about cost, it's about value. And, the, and what people value is going to be different, right? So if you value time, it might cost a little bit more, but it might save you in the long run because that project will get done quicker, right? So exactly to your point is maybe everyone's using Revit so that we can get all the takeoffs. So we don't have to do it manually because the more we can take out uh, humans from doing a lot of these calculations, the better it's going to be. There's going to be less room for error, right? Because even when we do estimates, time and material, we're still going to make mistakes. So we try to carry more knowing that, we're going to miss something or somebody's going to, or they're going to change or, or something, right? We're just trying to give a realistic. So that's when I, when I talking to people, I'm like, look, we're not going to be the cheapest. I know that, but I guarantee you, we're going to deliver you the best value and we'll work with you to figure out what you value so that we can deliver that. And this is the way that we do that, right? So we still want to follow, we want to drive the bus, so to speak, but they're, they're ultimately setting the destination. It's funny how 
when you say that, you know, we say that, right? The more I can see the project, the more, you know, I, I envision that the future of our world will be that AI will develop the projects that we do, right? I see a world, you know, the mm-hmm. people that I talk to every day on these podcasts, uh, you know, they're little silos that are inside the business right now that are, are building different components from from the, you know, the robot dog that uh, Boston Dynamic is doing, because, you know, to, to walk around job sites and 3D model it. If if it's the guys that are out there doing beam technology to be able to do beam takeoffs, uh, if, if it's the you know drywall companies that are able to uh, to look at uh, drywall tech, you know all these different estimating components, design components, uh, they're they're getting smarter and smarter in different silos. Now, as, as each one of those silos continues to grow and they start to merge together, we're going to see the ability for AI to really develop our projects. You know, a homeowner wants to add on another floor. I'll be able to take a you know the the problem we have is most of the historical data that we have for a project is useless, right? Because our teams, you know, go out and collect all this data before, on a, on a new site, we collect all the data to get the site. Well, we go look at the rocks, the floor, the soil, we go do that, we put the footings, the foundation, we understand all that structural stuff. And then we start the, we go to the architectural side and we start putting it going vertical and, and we get all that. And by the time the owner moves in, we take all that data we learned and we throw it out the window and they just operate the building. Now, a couple years later, they, their family grows and they want to add another floor to it. So we have to go out and collect the data all over again. It doesn't stay with the project. It doesn't learn. And we're fish, we're this fish in a fish tank. You know, oh, oh look, oh, look, look, about bubbles. Oh, look, there's bubbles. And they go around and they forget all about the bubbles. Oh, look. There's, and we do this over and over <laughs> again. When, had we taken the structural technology we learned when we developed the project, it stayed with the building. As the next guy wants to adapt the building, uh, we can, re, re, you know, we could, utilize that data, but we don't, we don't pass it on very well. Yeah. And yeah. And that the thing is, is that especially when it comes to homes, a lot of people try to do their own work a lot of the times, right? We're actually dealing with a house right now where for the daughter of a previous client of ours, we went in, uh, just wanted some minor work kind of done. And then she was having an issue with something. We did some discovery work and found all sorts of major issues, right? You could tell it was like a homeowner, you know, no offense to the homeowners out there, but like a homeowner special sort of thing, right? So a homeowner that didn't know what they were doing, trying to make a quick dollar and probably a lawsuit now, right? So the thing is, is that like, I love that. I love technology and I, and I know that construction is in need of, of big disruption, right? For things to change. The hurdle is always the adoption, right? Can we get people to adopt it? And in the residential world, I feel like that's going to be more difficult explaining exactly what you just said. I think that's, that's a brilliant idea, but we need people to put in that information. If somebody does anything and doesn't put in the information, then whatever was done before is useless right? Because now you have to start over no matter what anyway. So whenever something's done, it has to be documented. If it's not documented, well then, you know, it's like, oh, I got this great plan of, you know, the, the house that was built and the addition and you start to look through it and go, well, how come there's a second story on this addition? This one didn't have a, a second story, right? And then, and then you're kind of going to have to redo everything anyways. So there's a, there's definitely a lot of moving parts that would need to be sorted out. And we started going down this path, actually, we were, we were building, uh, an app, we had to put it on pause, but you know, I had this idea. I was like, how do you kind of get everybody, you know, communication, that's the key word. How do you get everybody communicating and, you know, thinking about blockchain technology and basically the ledger, right. Of, of all of this and, and smart contracts and so forth. And it's like, how do you get everybody on the same page on one app, for example, 
not just an application, but where everybody is kind of communicating through that, but not just the homeowner and the contractor, but I'm thinking subcontractors and employees as well. So everybody can kind of communicate and rate each other. So employees can rate other employees, employees can rate uh, or employers, employers can rate employees, right? So you have this whole open web of people communicating and talking to each other and, and ultimately giving you good feedback where, where it's deserved and you're getting bad feedback where it's deserved as well. But it's a combination of everything, right? Cause usually only people write bad stuff, right? You never, there's very few like really good reviews out there <laughs> unless you go out actively looking for them. Cause the only time people go out of the way to write something is when they're upset or pissed off about something. Thank you. Uh, yeah, no, but, but you're, I think that's, I think that's absolutely right. Right. As we make it easier to communicate, you know, um, I was watching Zuckerberg's whole thing on meta as he convert as, as he's t- converting Facebook from Facebook to meta and he's really making this big investment in the metaverse and the, our, our ability to interact you know in the next five years is dramatically going to change how do we take that adaption to our, our our sites right how do we make it so that before a subcontractor bids a pro you know we just got done doing uh, working on a program that had six thousand remodels for a hamburger brand all around the country right this big hamburger brand that everybody knows and it, when we started the program it had you know it had it, we were going to rip apart their entire front lobby from stud to stud ceiling uh, from from a roof joist to floor uh, uh, slab and we gutted the entire building and in order to do that it had 11 different teams that had to go to the site right you had a an operations team that had to go do an assessment you had to go you had to get the the architect to go look at it then you had you know a, a construction team to put together initial estimate then you got to get bidders to go on uh, bid the project then you had a, a pre-con meeting to get the uh, pre-con meeting you know by the time you're done with just the number of people that had to go to the job site to do it to do 6000 stores and they wanted to do this in 12 months and it was really the the design of the future of the brand and really trying to create a, a massive rollout we realized that the, one of the fundamental problems was just the travel alone, right? Just getting people on planes and mm-hmm. trains and getting them over to the job site. And the number one thing we did was take the job site and we 3D modeled all of them. We, we took the, the Matterport cameras in there and we went in there and we 3D imaged every single one of the projects and we sent the project to them, right? So now the designer, the operations team, the architect, the engineer, the design company, all the people that needed to see the project, instead of going to the project, they could see it there. Now, was it always perfect? Nope. But the amount of times that it wasn't never equaled, you know, and I think a lot of times we think, well, if I don't go there and touch, if I I don't go there and touch it, right, if I don't go see that, I'm not going to know. Now, the amount of time that it took, it dramatically changed the the scope. You know, the the original scope was probably uh, by time we, from the time we picked the site to time that we remodeled it, that might have been a, an eight to 16 month process right? The back and forth, back and forth, the mm-hmm. uh, budgets back and forth, back and forth. That was a really long, the entire, the entire time from the time we picked the site to the time we finished the remodel, finished the remodel was 20 weeks, right? So that was uh, going through and being able to really dramatically change uh, the way that we uh, scope developed, approval, budget approval, budget finality, and then be, really to be able to get to the part where we ordered materials, and then, you know, what, what really dramatically changes, those projects started being, when we started with us, they were, you know, five to eight week projects. And we took them down to 14 days and it dramatically changed how that happened. And at first, subcontractors like, well, you're going to kill us. And we're like, no, 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 no. Look, that's the last thing we want. We want people having sustainable lives. We're not looking ever. We never, ever want people to overwork because then it gets unsafe. But what we want to do is make sure mm. when you get there, 
you can get your work done. And when you get there, you're prepared to do the work, right? Because half of the construction businesses, you know, our people show up and they're like, well, what are we going to do today? And it takes, an, you know, it takes some time to figure it out. And by the time they get their toolboxes out and get everything set up and get the thing going, right? Then they start, start working. And these are restaurants that had to operate. So, uh, you know, we, we, by the time you set up and then tear down and it's two o'clock. And what we notice is that a job site's from two o'clock in the afternoon or 2.30 in the afternoon to 6 a.m. the next day, they were empty. And the number one thing that we changed was how we scoped people. You know, in the old days, everybody had to show up at 6.30 in the morning to run a job site. Well, today, some of these young kids didn't want to be there at 6.30. They were like, hey, I, I don't want to get there until 10. I stayed up all night playing Fortnite and I, getting, at, getting to work at 10 o'clock is a lot better for me. And we're like, great. We don't want you there at, at six o'clock because we have another team of people that are there. And what we were able to do is start to look at how we how we programmed them. And uh, uh, the number one thing we did was paint pictures for people before they showed up. We, we, we showed the demo guys, look, it, originally we started these demo projects. We were going to take sections of things out. And we started realizing, yeah, then we're gonna try to piece in old with new and no one's ever gonna be happy with that. This this wall really needs to be an all new wall, right? By the time we spend, we save a, an eight, eight foot piece of drywall, which we thought to ourselves, hey, we're doing good, we're saving, it, we're saving a piece. We're realizing the amount of time spent, you know, messing around with that was a lot worse for the project. And it never, and the finishes never came out that way. So we said, look, if we had a demo team came in and by the end of day one, you were gutted. Right, and that, that might take a larger team. So we communicated to teams and said, look, hey, Mr. Dental Contractor, you don't have a week to go demo. You have a day. And in order to do that, what, what do you need to do that in a day? And they said, well, look, we need to get 10 to 12 people in there per day, uh, for the day. Um, oh, by the way, we're gonna need four dumpsters. And we realized that hey, we're, some of these were like little podunk towns. And, and we realized we, some dumpster companies couldn't respond that fast. Right, you'd call them up and go, "Hey, we're, mm -hmm. we're going to need you know four dumpsters in a day." And you know, if the dumpster wasn't there, and all of a sudden all the all the all the goods got piled got piled somewhere on the job site, then we had to move it twice, and all the inefficiencies around that. So we started looking at all right, now we have to get two different dumpster companies, and then we had to make sure that the first one was called at the first thing in the morning, and then, you know, a couple hours later there was another one called, and we would go back and forth. And if one didn't respond, we could pull the other one in. And we had options, right? So we were able to communicate with that. How do we keep the drive-through open while we did these things, right? How do we keep the job site going? And all of that took communication with the team before they showed up. Now, ultimately, the demo company made a lot more money because they did the same amount of work that was taking them a week to do earlier. They made it in one day, right? Now, their teams operated differently and we had to show up with the, knowing exactly what to do. And part of that was having the electrician show up the day before and say, hey, you gotta make this safe because once our guys start going, they're gonna start ripping and gripping. We don't want sparks flying. We don't want anybody to get hurt. We never want anybody to pull a wire out that's gonna be live. So you and your team need to show up and make this job site safe and tag and cut off and make sure that the site's ready so that when the demo team, they don't have to think about what they're ripping. They know it's safe. And all of a sudden that dramatically changed just day one. And if we knew that by day one, if day one won, that day two we could put, be putting tile down. And we knew if we put day two down, uh, then day three would work. And if we won the days, we won the weeks, we won the weeks, we won the project. And, and I think that's one of the things that as we look at our business, how many times do people show up and most of our guys show up like cowboys. They show up shooting from the hip and good cowboys can get it done. Look, I've been doing this a long time. I, I, I can get it done. but. I don't know how sustainable that is for the people that work around us, right? They, they get a little yeah. worn out. Yeah, there's, a, there's definitely a lot of inefficiencies in construction and technology can definitely help that if we, if we learn how to use it properly, but it, there is a learning curve for sure. And 
uh, in the red, like the world that you're in is a little bit different than the world I'm in, uh, when you're doing renovations or you're working in tight quarters, you know, we can't send 12 guys in necessarily to do, to do demo, uh, or you need to kind of do, it's more like deconstruction a lot of the times, as opposed to uh, demolition, depending on what you're doing, there's always a better way to do it. I believe that. Right. And there's, that comes down to system process. And luckily I have a partner who his background, he, he's a mechanical mechanical engineer. And the way his brain think is very much, how do we make this better? So I'm very much like, how do we just move on to the next thing? Let's do the, you know, I got all these ideas. So I'm kind of up in the sky, uh, but we work well together because he's kind of down on the ground and he's like, no, 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 like we got to slow down. Right. That's the whole rain in us in. Let's figure this, let's make sure this is done better before we do that. And I said, okay, well you work on that. Let me know if you need anything, but I'm still going over here. Uh, so very much, uh, partnerships are, are huge help in that. But, uh, it takes a lot of people and everybody needs to be on the same page. And like you said, communicating and with proper communication, proper planning, I think anything's possible. My wife and I operate that way. You know, when she took over the company, one of the number one complaints she had about is that I was wearing people out. Right. I'm, I'm always excited. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm like a football coach. You got this. Go get it. Go, you know, go run, run. I'm, <laughs> I'm very excited. I love the business. I get people excited and I push people really, really hard and, and sometimes you know really push them. And she's more about building family, right? She's more about building a community, long-term growth as a company that's sustainable, right? And uh, that's the, one of the biggest changes we've had over the last couple of years is that the people that work here, the quality of the, not that, here, not that we don't still go really, really fast and do some dynamic programs. It's just, we do it in a more conscientious way. The way, the way we look at the business, the way that we operate the business, the way that we operate, uh, really has people have, you know, we've got, uh, you know, a, a different way that we do uh, vacations. You know, we give people a, a lot more vacation time. We we expect people to leave the business and go check out for a while, get some vacation time and really enjoy their lives, right? I think it, it takes both that that type of energy, right? You need your energy and you need your wife's energy, right? And you kind of, that's what makes a family, right? You you, right. you need the, the, the polarity, right? Some people, uh, you need the one side at a certain point and you need the other side at another point. Right. But I think there's, it's, you can't have just one or the other. I think you need to have one and the other for like a true family and growth and, and especially in business and, and anything really to happen. Right. That that's why, you know, opposites attract and that's why uh, people get along. And that's why there's also fighting and, and there's, you know, the, that polarity because that's, that's all part of the journey, but that's all, it doesn't mean it's bad. It's all just, what it is. Right. So, uh, that's great to hear. My wife actually helps me in my business as well. I, I actually did a webinar yesterday and on you know, the webinar, I was telling people, I'm like, she's my secret weapon because because of her background and her experience and the way that she thinks is like, I've spoken to my wife a lot of times before going into meetings and I'm very happy that I had her by my side because that meeting would have went very different if she didn't talk some sense into me. Right. So <laughs> absolutely. I, I, I often say, no, she's the gauntlet, right? If uh, before we hire people, especially in key positions, that she gets to spend time with them, she really, uh, really listens to them and hears them different than I do. I, I look at them from one way; she really looks at them from uh, sustainability or or uh, the team that we're looking for. And I think that's that's a lot of fun uh, to have that uh, yin and yang. You know, as you look at conscientious builder, you know. Uh, there was a great 60 Minutes article a couple of weeks ago that I loved, right? This is a guy that was building these hospitals out in the middle of Africa and uh, really taking into approach 
much, and I loved it. I really got excited about the way that he was designing the, the designing the hospitals. A lot more airflow, a lot more open space, being able to give people a lot more space. But even more importantly, what he did was instead of going to the big companies that uh, could have come in with bulldozers and uh, the way that they were building, you know, just fast and get it done, he went to the locals and said, you know, these these projects that could have been done with maybe 400 people may, might have taken 4,000 people from uh, the local tribes. But what ended up happening was it slowed down a little bit. There was a lot more manual labor, but in that creation of that uh, really developed its own economy. It really created a sustainable economy, you know, where it created more jobs. It, it actually created the customers that were going to work, that were going to be in the hospital. And they, they had part of building it and they really went to the local market. And a lot of times we are looking at uh, programs where we're bringing in the local market and the local people that, that are from that area to build the projects that we do. You know, I, th I think that's a really important part of a different, you know, not just the materials that we use, but the people that we use, right? It's not always about faster, 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 but it's also, I think part of being conscientious is how is this impacting the community that we're building in, right? What's the long-term effects of the work that we do here and the people that we hire here and the way that we hire them? Uh, do we, when we leave there, not that we make a profit, but did the community benefit from that? I think that's a big part of us when we're looking at conscientious building. There's so many things, right? So I call it the conscious builder because it's not that we have the answer for everything, right? The, the idea, like if you think of uh, the word conscious or what consciousness is, it's a state of being aware, right? So we see our responsibility of as bringing the information that we have as much as we have. And, and sometimes homeowners bring other information, right? But the idea is you bring all that information together so that you can make a conscious decision, whatever is best for the community, whatever is best for the family, whatever is best for who, the, the country, whoever's involved, right? But ultimately, you're, you're working towards whoever's kind of paying the bill, who's going to be using this space at the end of the day, whatever it is, is you want to design and build something that works with what they need. And there's a lot of factors that come into play. So when you're building somewhere like that, I think that's a lot of sense to get the community involved. I, I think one of the issues that happens a lot with charities, for example, who raise money and they go out and build schools and stuff is that they go out and they just build it. They basically say, here's a school or here's a hospital. And they don't work with the communities because what the community really need was that a more stable economy. They needed work. They needed to learn, right? You want to teach them how to fish, not just give them a bunch of fish. Cause then when they run out of fish, then what are they going to do? Right. The whole point of it is to, is to give them skills as well throughout the process, not just give them something. It's the same thing. You don't just want to go give somebody a bunch of money who doesn't know how to manage it. You need to teach them the skills on how to manage it before they have a whole bunch of money because money flows and stays with people who learn how to manage it. And that's something I've had to learn the hard way too over the years. Right? But I've started to ingrain that even in my kid is is start talking about stuff like money. The important, the stuff that they don't talk about in school is the most important stuff that we need to learn. And you know, that that's one of those things, getting people involved, right? Getting the key stakeholders in and working together because sustainability isn't just about the products that are being used or how efficient the building is. Sustainability is everything, right? It is, are you actually going to be able to use this long-term, right? If you build a quote unquote sustainable home and you're not comfortable, you don't enjoy it, so you get rid of it or you want to tear it down. Well, that wasn't very sustainable then, right? <laughs> so uh, there, there's a lot. I think we get stuck on certain words and we forget that they can they can have multiple meanings. No, I, th I think it's great. You know, I, I've got a 19-year-old son who uh, uh, he just wanted a new, his, his, his first car 
we helped him a lot uh, when he bought it, right? We, we we put up most of the money for it. He put some money up for it, but he put, we put up most of it. And I kind of feel like he didn't take care of it that well, right? And exactly. uh, yeah. he, he may have abused it a little bit, right? And he, you know, it was a Mini Cooper and he souped the damn thing up so much you could you could you barely talk when you sat in it. And, and it, it maybe, maybe being 16 didn't help out either. You know, he pushed, he pushed the limits on that and maybe not even so respectful to the vehicle. Uh, today he's 19. He's, he's he's going to buy another vehicle, and uh, uh, he's made the investment. In. Now I, I look at that car, and I really see a difference. That's his car. He's earned it. You know, uh, he went to college, and he didn't like college, and he wanted to uh, back out and go into the trades. And he went to the trades, and he's loving he's loving uh, you know getting his hands dirty every day. And and he comes home, he's exhausted, but he loves what he what he's doing. And he gets he you know, makes 700 bucks a week. And as a 19 year old kid, I'm like, that's awesome, right? It's not a fortune, but it's it's a pretty damn good living for a for a, for a kid. And and now he's invested in his own car and. You can just see the pride by which he does that. I think as we get people involved in developing their their stuff and supporting them and developing uh, their product or or even the work that they do. Look, when when your team creates something and they can look back and go, man, uh, we made that together. I think that's a pretty awesome, you know, that makes the, the value of the company, the value of the team. I think that's a lot of what we do here is look at, you know, the people that really have really made CDO group uh, and, and the brand, or even the people that did this podcast, uh, the team that puts it together, they're building this every single day. They're, they're the team that puts this together and it's hard. It's not always easy. And, you know, sometimes the visionary where we push things out there and uh, we have to help create, you know, keep, I, I say it's oftentimes, you know, when I was a kid, I used to push garden, you know, I live in Florida and it was sandy and you could turn your hose on and you could push it into the dirt. Now, every once in a while, I'd turn the, the hose off and it would all collapse. And then my mother would come out and be like, oh, my garden hose sucks, stuck in the dirt. They didn't love that. But but the point I was trying to get at is that being the water that helps push the hose in, right? How, how am I as the entrepreneur, the leader of the team, being the water that helps them uh, push forward, right? How do I inspire them or pull them sometimes uh, to places and, and, and set a vision and kind of create that? So how, how can, uh, you know, my team really, they, they're the ones who do who do it. They're the ones who really uh, make that happen and, and take the vision and really create the idea behind it. And I think that is the most uh, important part for me is that I look at people and go, all right, it wasn't me. How did we, how did we make great people? How do we make the people that did this, how did they stand a little bit taller? How did they live a little bit bolder? How do they live a life that was uh, their grand experience? And I think that's, I think that's a challenge for us, you know, you know, being conscious as a leader is how do we really inspire the move, touch, inspire the people that we work around to live b- bigger, bolder lives? Yeah, that's a good point. And then, and you know, if you, uh, help raise them up, then ultimately everything else is going to raise up with them as well. And that's a big part of it. Like everyone needs to be tuned into the vision. And I say, that's, you know, that's one of the, I do this, I did this free course on the Conscious Build Academy or just like the top five things that I wish I knew before I started business. And that was one of them. It was, it wasn't so much a vision, but it was aligning values, right? Getting team members on the bus that had similar values so that they were working together. We don't have to we all, we're all going to have different visions for our life, right? But there's ultimately going to be a vision for the business. But as long as the vision for their life is aligned with the vision, vision for the business or their, and, their, and their values are aligned, then that's a good team member, right? That, that's a good, start, good starting place. If you have people that are working in different directions, then they're constantly going to be pulling against each other as opposed to working. Like we don't have to be like, 
holding hands sort of thing. But if you're working with each other along the same line, then then you can go a lot further, a lot faster. Building anything, the places where I go most unconscious as a leader is I get hungry and lonely tired, right? The halt. I would say in my marriage, in my business, in, in my in our, in our in our business, in our in our marriage, in our uh, in our community, where I get hungry, where I get angry, where I get lonely, where I get afraid, right? If it's you know, when I kind of stay up above that, and I work with people, and I work with my first part, it's me, right? If I work on me and stay out of that spot, I stay conscious, and I really pay attention to the people and and what we're trying to do together and what they're trying to do, and I support them in creating it. All of a sudden it's a lot more effortless, right? It seems a lot mm. easier to, to operate through this. You know, um, I, I want to go back a little bit. You talked a little bit about, you know, being a conscientious builder. You know, one of the brands we work with is doing a zero sum game. Uh, they, they just got done doing one down at McDonald's. I mean, it's McDonald's and they just got done doing the Disney World location where it's got a zero carbon footprint uh, or zero sum game carbon footprint. And I was meeting with their development folks uh, last week down in, a, or in Phoenix at a convention. It was really fun to watch. Uh, how they developed it, right? It was really uh, this big project. It has a, a zero gain uh, uh, out there, a zero, zero uh, uh, carbon footprint where it really generates its own power and it's sustainable. It's, and, and I said to the guy, I said, how did you guys develop this? He goes, I didn't develop, we didn't develop anything. Every single thing that we use, we were just conscientious about what we picked. All these items are available. Right. Every single thing that we put mm -hmm. in that restaurant was already on the shelf. We did not build anything new for the, for the stuff that we're doing. We just simply slowed down and looked for opportunities. And, you know, when we designed the roof, we did the roof this way. When we, we supplied uh, the HVAC, we did this way. When we used airflow and the system and where we built it was important. Uh, you know, being down in Florida, the consistent weather really does help. What I got out of that was a lot of the stuff that we want to do in our business is available to us now, right? And just being conscious and conscientious of the the way that we do things, that alone, you know, you know, can be the, one of the most the biggest impacts that we can do. Yeah. So, in terms of like the materials that we're using, or in terms of everything, I, I think like there's yeah. one thing I like to tell people is like you vote with your wallet, right? Whatever you decide, wherever you decide to spend your money, that's what you're going to get more of. So if you go to the grocery store and you buy crappy food, the grocery store tracks that and the grocery store will bring in more crappy food. If you go to the grocery store and buy organic produce and they run out, they're going to buy more organic produce, right? So uh, it's the same thing with everything else in life. If you go out and buy an elect more electric, if we buy more electric cars, uh, if we invest in sustainable technology, if we uh, buy, you know, decide to use a insulation product for our buildings that's more sustainable or that has a zero carbon footprint, whatever it may be, whatever you're spending your money on is what you're going to get more of. Why do you think things become so cheap is because everyone's spending their money on it, right? So it's 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 very much a supply and demand. So if you really want to make change, uh, you need to put your money where your mouth is, so to speak, and, and be a part of that change. It's not going to happen overnight, uh, but everything that we do does make a difference. All those baby steps do, does make a difference. And that's one of the reasons that what we do is like at the end of the day, because of what we're, we're doing and what we're building, we're not 
making the final decision on what product gets used. Do we agree with all the products that we use on projects? No, not necessarily, but it's not our project. We're just helping f- facilitate that and, and giving them the information they need, but they're make, they have to make the decision based on the parameters that they have to work within, right? Once we can do our own projects, that'll be a different story. Then we'll, then we'll make decisions ourselves, which I'm kind of dealing with, you know, on rental buildings, there's a lot of things that I'd like to do, but when you're looking at a rental building, it's hard to make the financial case for it. So I get it. So you have to wait or you have to wait a little bit longer. You need to get more strategic about how and when you're going to do certain things. But I'm finding it becomes more of a game of patience in that world and timing and figuring out what to do as opposed to just going in and trying to do everything all at once because you still have to look at it as a business. But it's been an interesting journey so far. And we're doing a couple projects. And yeah, I'm going to be documenting that too. And I'll be sharing my my thoughts on that through our YouTube channel. We're at the early stages in a couple of these projects, uh, but uh, it's fun. And then hopefully we'll get into building some new projects ourselves. And that, that, that'll be a different story because if we're building and selling something, I know that we can market it and, and do a good job at getting the story out there about what people are buying and what they're going to be living in. Cause I don't think people realize uh, to change the topic a little bit. I don't think people realize how their, how buildings affect their health. And we've built everything around health, comfort and efficiency. Uh, But if you build a healthy, comfortable building by default, it's going to be efficient. And the EPA actually has a stat, and this is from a while ago that states that, and it's probably worse now, but uh, we spend 87% of our time indoors. And if you think about that, uh, it's not just in our house, but that's in a house, in the vehicle or in a subway or wherever you live to another building. Now it's mostly home, but I like, I had to go outside yesterday because I was in my house for like two days. I didn't have to go outside for anything. Right. I didn't have to travel. I didn't have to go anywhere. So like last night, I'm like, I got to go outside. I got to go do something. Right. I just have to go get some fresh air, but that's what's happening. And we don't realize all the stuff that we're breathing in. Right. So these are things that we, we educate and help educate people on is like the materials that you're putting into your house, you're going to be breathing in. Right. So there's a lot of things that affect our health, stress, uh, sleep, you know, what we eat, what we drink, all sorts of things, but there's also what we breathe. And, and it's not just from the construction process, it's what you buy and bring into your house too. So going back to that zero carbon side, yes, the carbon footprint is important, but you also need to think about the health of the occupants and what they're going to be breathing. But usually things that are better for the, for your carbon footprint tend to be better for your health as well. So there's other aspects to look at. There's a lot, there's so much information and you know, it's almost overwhelming, um, but that's why you hire teams who know what they're talking about or who can bring you that information so that you can make a decision because oftentimes more information doesn't lead to better decisions. Uh, it leads to higher confidence, but not always a better decision, which is uh, an interesting, another interesting stat that I read about recently. <laughs> uh, knowledge doesn't always, just because people have knowledge of it. I, hey, by the way, I know, I know that from uh, the way that I eat in my belly, I, I, I know how not to how, how not to be heavy uh, or, or I know how not to, how to be skinnier is not eat. But uh, for some reason, that knowledge isn't always translating to the donuts that I'll eat every once in a while. Whatever, I cook it, I'm sneaking. <laughs> See, but I think it's systematic to our environment and the world that we're in. You know, I just came back from Portugal and uh, uh, we ate up a storm and it came back and I was actually, well, we walked a lot. We walked we, 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 locked, we locked, walked a lot and really got to enjoy Portugal and uh, did a lot of walking through all the cities there and uh, uh, came back and just felt great about it. And what we really noticed was we ate, we probably ate more than we normally eat, but 
you know, the way their food is, they, they don't have all of the products that we do that are all, you know, heavily produced. And a lot of their stuff is a lot more naturally organic. And uh, they don't have the GMOs. In fact, they don't even allow the GMOs uh, that we have here in our in our pastas and our grains and, and the breads that we have there. We, we ate bread and olives and, and, and uh, pasta almost every single day. We would never eat that here. I mean, our house is pretty healthy. And, um, you know, all of a sudden we found ourselves, you know, enjoying a little bit more than we would have because we're on vacation and we wanted to experience it. And we, but we came back going, wow, there's something really different about the quality of food that they're eating. And I think that's the same thing with the construction methods. You know, a lot of times when we look at uh, the quality of the construction that we have, when people say, I want to do things, you know, when, when that owner that bids out to 10 different people uh, bids out a project, they kind of get what they pay for, right? They're, their maintenance mm-hmm. costs, their building quality, the long-term look and feel of the of the environment that they create. You know, they always, that old analogy, you get what you pay for, uh, is true throughout our entire society. So, uh, like you said, I think a lot of us are drinking off a fire hose. You know, as people are want to be more con, uh, conscientious builders, like yourself, I know you've got this amazing uh, YouTube, how do they find you? How do they get uh, into your, you, you've got that great school. So talk, let's talk a little bit about that and how people can become more conscientious builders. Yeah, the best place, I guess, if you want uh, free content is YouTube. We put out a lot on YouTube. So if you just go to YouTube and search The Conscious Builder, you'll find all the stuff that we're putting out uh, on a weekly basis interviews as well as projects that we're doing and updates. Uh, we have a 10 or sorry, three day cottage 10 episode series that we had released. So lots of great content there, search it. And we're even going back to some of the older stuff, realizing that can be redone. Right. So we do a lot of, it's all to do with residential building, uh, but passive house, net zero standards, healthy, comfortable, efficient building. That that's what it's based on. Now we also have started building out the conscious builder Academy and that's at consciousbuilderacademy.com. That is designed more for the contractor. So if the contractors want to take their business to the next level, uh, we are not only helping on the construction side and building, you know, we haven't even released courses like that yet, but the first step that I've realized when I started my business, what did I need help with? Because the first step is to make sure that these businesses, these people who want to do a good job, stay in business. And though that's what we're starting with is how do you make sure that that these most part, you know, our demographic that we're aiming for is the younger guys who are starting, you know, where, where I was, 12, 12 years ago is what did I need at that point? How can I help those guys avoid the pain that I had to go through, avoid that loss of money, the loss of people, the loss of time, more importantly, how can I, how, how can I help with that? That's what we're designing and, and want to make sure that those guys stay in business. Cause one thing I realized in being in the industry from a very young, actually, is that I would go to association meetings and the competition wasn't the guys sitting around those that table. The competition was the guys that weren't around the table that are out there working out of the back of their truck, underbidding everyone, going out of business, creating a bad reputation for the industry, right? Those, that's the so-called competition. But there is more than enough work for all the guys who want to do good work. Because even if that you know, guy working out of the back of his truck gets the job, chances are it's going to go south. Something's going to happen. Either one of two things will happen. You'll need to come in and save it or help it if you want to help, or they'll realize on this one that they made a bad decision. And the next time they go do a job, they will be looking for somebody who has a better reputation. That happens all the time, right? I, I can't tell you how many stories I've had where it's like, yeah, we've done work before, but we didn't hire the right person or, or I'll ask them, why didn't, why don't you go back? That's one of the questions. If they say they've done work before. I say, well, why, why aren't you hiring that person? 
right? And, and bringing them back. And there's usually a story, right? So there's, there's more than enough work for everybody. And that's what the Conch Builder or the Conch Builder Academy is about is, is bringing those guys up, bringing them up to the next level, helping them, supporting them so that they can avoid that pain and ultimately grow their business. It doesn't matter if they only want to stay as three people or, or grow beyond that. The idea is to just build a sustainable business and a lifestyle that's going to suit you. I think it's amazing that uh, the content that you're creating, is, I, I've got to watch a bunch of them and uh, it's great content. If you guys want to get on, if you really want to see that, that three-day house, the project, that uh, it's a great project. It's a 10-part series. And I, I watched the first few of them. I didn't get to get to all of them yet, but uh, I really enjoyed that. And, you know, I think where you're going with that and, and the business that you're creating, you know, I, 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 what I'm finding out is it's not just here. It's around the world. You know, now that your content's out there uh, around the world, people can see this and it really does affect uh, those developing areas of the world. You know, people can really start to see uh, as you're developing a conscientious bu building uh, process, a, a, a conscious building program uh, where we stay there and, and really develop look, you're taking 12 years of, of knowledge and experience and feeding that to the guy that's coming up. It's, you know, it's that classic each one help one, right? How do you reach back and help your brother up? Uh, you know, how do we help uh, the next guy that's coming down the pipeline grow uh, their brand and, and uh, you know, lessons learned? And, uh, you know, I think that's something that we, we all came from a very tribal experience. You know, we, uh, for, for thousands of years, we were tribal. We had elders that did that. Our, our industrial revolution kind of took some of that away because you kind of went to work and everybody thought you could get in school. But, you know, today we're noticing that uh, that's really important to each and every one of us. And, and YouTube is the modern uh, communicator of tribal knowledge and, and uh, it's really amazing what you're doing and I'm grateful for that. So people can find you where? Let's go go back to your websites and, and uh, connection points. Yeah, you know what? The best place to just get all of our links and kind of the most recent updates is we actually created an Instagram link. So if you just go to theconsciousbuilder.com slash Instagram and conscious is C-O-N-S-C-I-O-U-S. Uh, for people, there's two ways, right? There's conscious and then the conscious, which is more spelled like con science. Uh, but uh, that, that kind of has, we always update that page with whatever we're working on at that point. Uh, and then from there, that'll link to everything else that we have going on. Awesome. Well, thank you again for uh, a great, great time together. I am grateful for uh, this. I know you're busy and got a lot going on. And as you continue to develop, I look forward to you coming back on and keep sharing uh, your development with the Academy and the great work that you're doing and you and your team are doing. And uh, uh, congratulations on everything. Well, thank you so much, Anthony. I really appreciate it. Thanks for joining us. My name is Anthony Montegi. Always looking for people to bring insight into the industry. Finding ways to inspire people to have amazing careers in the development world. If you liked our podcast, make sure you hit the subscribe button down below. If you really liked our podcast, make sure you hit the little bell. Thanks again for listening. Please share it with your friends.